It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and welcome into the virtual bible study we're glad you're a part of it tonight we hope you'll stay tuned as we begin an hour of bible study and discussion with you live on this Thursday evening, October 30th, 2008, my name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here back with me tonight. Welcome back, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you, as always, on Thursday night for our virtual Bible study group. Feeling better than you were last Thursday? Night? Much better, thank you. Well, glad to have you back. We want to talk about uh, the, your ideal church. If you were to have an ideal church to be a part of, what would be some of the characteristics of that church? We want to hear from you on the program tonight at 877-381-4567, or you can email your questions or comments to questions at collegeview.com. That's right, Jacob. We're going to, uh, our suggested theme for discussion tonight has to do with the kind of things that you would look for if you were going to have your ideal church to worship with. In, in a local church, what kind of things would you, if you had your absolute preference, if everything was just the way you wanted it, how would you like it? And what would be some of the particulars? Uh, earlier today to our update list, we sent out, a, uh, we're trying, we're trying something new, a little new, Jacob. We're trying a, a form that you fill in and submit with these answers. I'm not sure we're going to be convinced that that's the best way to go or not, but, uh, uh, we tried that today to ask several questions. Uh, you you ask a lot more questions with these forms than you normally would. I noticed yeah, that. Yeah, I know, I, I've got a lot more questions included. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. Uh, if you are not on our update list and you'd like to see the form, you can go on the very page where you logged on to the program tonight. We have that the, that form embedded there, and you can go fill it out and submit it to us, and we'll get it during the program. If you haven't already done that, we hope that you will. Uh, and, again, if you'd like to be on our update list, just send us an email to questions at collegeu.com, and in the subject line just say, add me to your list, and we'll do it. But we asked a lot of questions, and then we sort of left it open-ended as well. as concerning what would you really like most in a congregation if you were going to have your preferences. We asked about the type of leadership the church would have. Uh, we we asked about the relationship among the members, what that relationship among members would be like. We asked about the preacher, his age, style of preaching, and so forth. We asked how many members would there be in this ideal church. We asked... Uh, where it would be located geographically, its location. We ask what would be the primary emphasis of the work. And so we just suggested several things that you might like to look for in local church. What would be your priorities and what would you desire in these and other areas? Uh, again, if you have not submitted uh, your answers, we hope you do that right now. Go to our website there where you logged on to the program. Fill out the form and just click the submit button, and we got it. It'll be here just momentarily. We've and you don't have to answer all of those. We're gonna, you, you may not have enough time to answer them all. We're we're maybe short on time. When you pick, decide you want to comment, you can just pick one or two of those and send them in. Exactly right. The thing that sort of got us. Think- and remember to hit the submit button, but at the bottom, or else we don't see it. Right. You got to hit that submit button. Uh, of course, you can re- send us a regular email if you like. We're, we're monitoring our emails as the program's going along, so you can send us an email uh, to questions at collegeview.com if you just want to do it the old way. And we may go back to that old way, Jacob. We'll see how this works. We'll right. try it out for a while. But the thing that got us uh, thinking along this line for our program tonight mm-hmm. was an article in the Nashville Tennessean that told about a, a, a group of a small business that has started here in Middle Tennessee and they're sending out mystery worshipers to evaluate churches. Jacob, I, you know, we for a long time we've heard about mystery shoppers. Yeah, I used to do that when I was in college to, at the bank. I banked at. You were a mystery banker. I was a mystery banker. You have to have money to be a mystery banker, uh, right? I went in and uh, see if they would give me money without having any. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so you go in, you evaluate. They don't know what you're evaluating them, but you're evaluating their performance. Yeah, I didn't know you were a mystery banker. Uh, I am. Well, they they're mystery bankers. Then there's mystery shoppers. They're mystery. Uh, restaurant goers with yes. uh, different things like that 
Well, apparently somebody uh, with some uh, inventive mindset has decided to start a service of mystery worshipers. And here's here's the way the article in the Tennessean started. It says, the person sitting next to you in church today may look like an average visitor, but be careful, he might be taking notes. A growing number of churches are using mystery worshipers, consultants giving congregations the same kind of unbiased, unfiltered feedback that secret shoppers give retail stores or restaurants. The mystery worshipers give churches the kind of honest responses that newcomers almost never do. From angry parking lot attendants to boring sermons, they let the churches know what they're doing right and wrong. Uh, this group is called the A Group in Brentwood, Tennessee. And it mentions that this apparently is, is sort of a growing trend across the country. Other companies offering the service include Real Church Solutions in Coronado, California, and Customer First, a secular secret shopper firm. Depending on how thorough the reporting is, a visit can cost as much as $1,000. Did you get $1,000 for doing the mystery banking? No, I, I didn't. Anyway, it says they can often catch the small things that no one notices, like having out-of-date information on a sign or a website and so forth. So that's what got us thinking. You know, when I go to a restaurant, I know what I'm looking for. I have certain preferences if I go to a restaurant. If I go to a store, I have certain pres- preferences about the service, about the the quality of product and so forth. So I have personal preferences about things that secret shoppers might investigate. And so now it's suggesting maybe I could have personal preferences about churches and what I like and don't like. Now, that I think opens up a a wide topic. And part of the underlying question, Jacob, I suppose, is are we sure that, you know, a sort of consumer-driven church is what we really want? You know, a lot of these groups, they're not evaluating the doctrinal purity that comes from the pulpit. That would be something very valuable. They're evaluating whether or not the signs to the bathroom are properly located so that a visitor can find their way to the bathroom when they need to. Um, are the are the uh, songbooks in the right place? Things like that, which are important. But the focus, it seems, is towards that physical end of it, not necessarily concerned about the spiritual nature of the church. Exactly right. Bottom line, the church, I, I think in all of our discussion tonight, the thing we really want to stress is the church, whether pleasing to us or not, that's the, the, the real issue is whether it's pleasing to God or not. So maybe the question tonight should be, if you were visiting a church, what would be things that you would use to evaluate it? And that, that's along the lines of yeah. your perfect church question tonight. Yeah, yeah. so when we, we ask, what would you want in your perfect church but I, I hope that everybody who's listening understands that no church could be even considered faithful if it wasn't carefully following the Word of God. That's the key. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com are the ways you participate in the program tonight, and we do look forward to your participation. You can also use the form that's on our website if you're listening live. Go to collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And you can fill out one or more of the fields on that form and hit the submit button at the bottom, and we'll have your feedback. Well, uh, on uh, on the Tennessean website today, I didn't get all the comments from people who were responding to that article, but I picked up one comment from a reader who wrote back to uh, on their website and said, he, he's offering his opinion. He says, the best church I've ever attended had a congregation of about 50, and they wanted you to come no matter how you looked. We had some in blue jeans, dress shorts, some dressed to the max. However, no one gave anyone a second glance, for they were just glad you were there. It was a relaxed atmosphere, and we always had lots of humor, laughter, and joy. Well, there's a guy who seems to be saying, you know, uh, it, it, what's in it for me, and how did it uh, affect me? And uh, I noticed in what he said there wasn't anything there about the spiritual message of the church, or, you know, the teaching, the, the biblical basis, or anything like that. And, you know, if we go that route, then we can make the churches sort of like a, a country club, or we could make it like a honky-tonk, or we could make it like, I mean, if it's, if we're just looking for what appeals to man's carnal side, then the sky's the limit. But we've got to, we've got to be limited to the to the Word of God. Any other good comments there? I, yeah, there were well, several, but I didn't see any that that really were along the lines of what we're thinking. We're thinking, we're basing our discussion tonight on the assumption that we all understand that a church has to be 
doing what the Bible says, that's got to be the first consideration. But then we're we're just sort of asking about preferences beyond that. In other words, a church of we're going to talk here in a minute, Jacob, about the size of the church. How many members? I asked the question. How many members would you desire in your perfect church? Uh, please explain why you think that size would be the best. Well, a church of fifty can be faithful. A church of five hundred can be faithful. But I might prefer to be a member one or the other of the, of the, you know, either a small one or a big one, and and I might have reasons why. And that's sort of the kind of thing we want to talk about tonight. All right. Do you want to get into that size question? Yeah, let's ask that. All right. We have an anonymous uh, response tonight. And uh, how many members would your, you desire in your perfect church? And explain why you think that size is best. This person says 75 to 100. Enough to be encouraged, but not too many that you don't that you feel like you don't know everybody. You know, I think that's a pretty common uh, feeling that people have, at least a lot of people in Churches of Christ that I've talked to through the years feel like if he gets over 100, it's too big. Uh, and the main thinking is, as, as and, and this one probably didn't have a name, Jacob, because when I first put the form out there, I didn't leave a blank place for him to put their name. Uh, but the one, the, the person who sent this in says that, you know, you want the church to be large enough to be encouraged, not too many that you feel like you don't know everybody. I think a lot of times among churches of Christ, there's been emphasis on that we want to and feel a need to know everybody. I think that's noble. I think that's worthy. However, I, I'm not sure that I personally agree that keeping it down to that size, 75 or 100, is necessarily best. There's some real advantages to it. For instance, knowing everybody and, and being able to be more closely involved in the things that are going on in their lives but a church of 75 people is going to be limited in regards to some of the things that they might be able to do as far as spreading the gospel, reaching out in the community, and so forth. A church of 300, on the other hand, would have more resource to be able to do more work, but you'd be limited in being able to know everybody real well. So there's 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 a trade-off that takes place there. I think our assumption in many churches of Christ has been that, that smaller is better uh, I sort of challenge that thinking. If you if you have an opinion on that, give us a phone call. If you feel strongly one one way or the other, give us a phone call, and we'll be glad to take your input on that and these other questions. But uh, I guess I would favor a, a, a again. We're just talking about preferences here. A church of seventy five can be faithful. A church of seven hundred fifty can be faithful if they're following the word of God faithfully. But I guess I would probably favor a church a little larger than that for the sake of the fact that it can do has more resource to do more things. You know, the danger is that you see a large church and you immediately think, why are they so large? Are they are they watering down doctrinal teachings so that they appeal to more people? Are they using some type of carnal means of attraction? That can be a, an indicator, but we don't need to be uh, cast doubt on a, a church just because they're large. That's right. You know, and, and uh, <clears throat> while you're saying that, Jake, we might take the – uh, an answer from our friend Randy in Jackson, Missouri, who says the size doesn't matter to me as long as the church has a way for people to become intimate with each other, such as small groups. Because the first church in Jerusalem had thousands of members, but they met home to home so they could practice true Christianity. Uh, I think Randy makes a good point there about the church in Jerusalem. You know, the very first congregation, the first day that it existed, had over 3,000 members. And so to say that it's that it's more biblical to be small rather than large just isn't a provable point. You know, there would probably be people who, if they were alive back then, who live today, and they saw a church of 3,000 converted in one day, they'd think, oh, what are they doing? Are they using hot dogs and, and popcorn to get people in? Are they, are they saying anything goes? Uh, so we need to be careful about that. It's not necessarily a valid assumption to think that a large church is one that's doctrinally weak. No, uh, and it just requires investigation. And again, I think we can leave this to the personal preference of people. If you have, you know, some of us are lucky enough to live in geographical areas where we can choose between faithful congregations. Uh, uh, maybe there are some that are small, and others that are sort of mid-sized, and others that are fairly large. And we we have the opportunity to choose. And that's that's a blessing if you live in an area like that. I know some of the people who are probably listening tonight live in places where there is no choice, and you you're lucky to have a faithful congregation within reasonable driving distance. And if that's the case, then you just you know whether big or small, and in those cases, those churches are usually small, and that's what you live with. But uh, for those of us who live in areas where we have a, a, an opportunity to choose, we can be grateful for that. 
Quickly, we have an answer from Patrick in Birmingham, Alabama. He says, I'd personally prefer a larger church if possible. I visited churches where the entire congregation was about 12 people. Now I know that Jesus said that he was in the midst of even two or three gathering in his name, but these very small churches I've been to have generally given me the impression of spiritual deadness. Usually it seems like these are churches where it is all older people and there are no children to replace the members who die or move away. But I know that smallness does not equal spiritual deadness. I'm sure that in some places, particularly heavily persecuted countries, there are small congregations with greatly devoted Christians who would gladly give themselves over to death for the sake of Christ. That being said, I'd like a larger church where I can have a variety of friends and acquaintances of varying ages, whether older or younger, or the same as myself. I'm not likely to know everyone. But if I can have close friends, loose acquaintances, and even strangers who are still not strangers but family because uh, we share the common bond of Jesus Christ. Well, I think Patrick makes an interesting point. You know, some people think that a small church is better. But as Patrick points out, sometimes churches are small because they're, they're spiritually dead. They're not working. They're not active. They're not really pursuing the work of the Lord. And so I'd rather not be a member of a small church that has that problem of being just spiritually dead. All right. We'll take a minute to take a break, and when we get back, we hope to hear from you. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Hi, I'm Anthony Petrochko, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We want to remind you that our website, www.collegeview.com or www.thevirtualbiblestudy.com, has lots of valuable study tools available for your use. First, you can find archives of all our past programs there. We've covered a wide variety of topics, including doctrinal issues, moral and ethical questions, and many things related to living daily as a Christian. And while we don't have a search engine option on our website, remember that you can hit Control-F and type in a keyword. You'll then see that keyword highlighted on the page. For instance, if you hit Control-F and typed in the word worship, you'd find these past programs that we've conducted. Does it matter how we worship? What about contemporary worship and hand clapping? Are worship pleasing to God or pleasing to man? And instrumental music in worship. That's just an example, but you get the idea as to how the webpage can be used to help in your study of various subjects. Also remember that we have copies of our church bulletin on the website, and these bulletins include articles on hundreds of topics. You'll also find some recorded sermons, some Bible tracts, as well as information about the College View Church. So be sure to check out the valuable resources on our website. Again, the address is collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And thanks again for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Be sure to tell others. My name is Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening to the Virtual Bible Study, and we hope you'll tell others about the program. We're always open to your feedback concerning topics for discussion and suggestions as how we can make the program more effective. Drop us a line at questions at collegeview.com or call us toll-free at 877-381-4567. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. And welcome Take back it to, away, guys. Yeah, and welcome back to the Virtual Bible Studies tonight. We didn't give him time to quit talking there before we started talking over him. We're well, talking. What, you're what, walking over our buddy Chris. Uh, there. We're, we're talking about the ideal church tonight and what would be your ideal church and what would be something you would look at, look at if you're visiting a congregation and thinking about becoming a member of that congregation. What are some criteria that you would use in evaluating that church, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Dave, we were talking about size, and, and again, that's pretty much a judgment call. Uh, and, and I think that we, we have to leave that in the realm of judgment and that there's pros and cons to large and small. You, as you said, Jacob, it's worth looking to see why a church is large. Is Are they large because they've compromised to get large? On the other end of the spectrum, it's good to ask, why is the church small? Are they small because they're just dried, they on, dried up on the vine they're, and they're not doing anything? There are some groups who are afraid of becoming large. They, they think that they need to be isolated, that everybody else around them is wrong, and so that they, they'll just be in this little... You know, I've even heard Christians say, I think we're big enough. Oh, we're not big enough. We're not. Nobody's ever big enough because if you say that, then you're saying... 
we're we're not interested in reaching out, converting lost souls, and so forth. Uh, that that'd be a huge mistake to say that. But I've it's heard a, that's a danger that, of uh, having a church building that's close to capacity. People begin to think, well, we're big enough, and we don't have room to grow. Whereas if you were in a, a large building and there were just a few people filling the seats, and most of them were open, then there would be more of an urgency to to convert lost sinners. Yeah. Uh, uh, while we're talking about that, we might talk about another thing that I think. Pretty much his preference. Another question we ask. Now, you can call in or email us and give us uh, – you you can talk about things other than what we're talking about. We just suggested several areas. If I could choose, if I could sort of describe the perfect congregation that I wanted to be a member of, what would be some of its characteristics? I asked a question about its location, inner cities, out in the suburbs, a rural area, or why. Uh, One – one respondent said, near my house, and then he does that little sideways smiley face like you do an email, Jacob. Uh, ideally, he says there would be one on every corner. Well, that'd be great. If, if, there were, if there were faithful churches just everywhere, it'd be great. He says he'd like one near his house. I like, I like one near my house, too. I think it affords some opportunities to do things that uh, you might not be able to do otherwise. If, I know Christians who live in areas where churches are so few and far between, they might have to drive 75 miles to to go to worship services. The people who do that, I admire. I commend them for it. That describes a level of commitment that I think is very honorable. But I'd rather live closer than that, just for convenience sake, of course, but also – that allows me to be able to use if if I'm if I'm in fairly near proximity to the church where I worship, it gives me a better opportunity to use my home as a tool to uh, uh, encourage my fellow Christians and uh, to engage my neighbors in Bible study. You know, if I if I engage my neighbor in a Bible study, but I live 75 miles away from where I worship, it's hard to me to tell him, "Hey, listen, go with, go to church with me Sunday." And he says, well, where do you go? And I tell him, well, it takes an hour and a half to get there. Uh, There's a lot lower probability I'm going to succeed. So I I just think that living closer to where you worship is an advantage, but may not be available for everybody, but it is an advantage. Uh, Randy in Jackson, Missouri agrees. He says, no preference as long as it is not so far away that I can't be very active in church life. Yeah, Uh, I think that's a good point. uh, And again, kind of goes to what we were saying. You know, another thing, Jacob, that... I ask, I ask about inner city suburbs or rural areas. You know, there's been, there's been an, uh, uh, sort of an exodus of churches from the city, the populated city areas out into the suburbs. That's been common all over the country. Churches have sort of left, you know, the, what, what you might refer to as decaying neighborhoods to go out into the suburbs where the affluent people live and it seems to me like that probably needs to be thought about fairly carefully. Uh, this in the suburbs where the affluent people live is where we usually have our least success in reaching people with the gospel. People, uh, and that's not to say we can't, but we don't often have much success there. Yeah, I went to a large congregation to a congregation in a large uh, city up north. There was graffiti on the walls of the building. I did. I didn't choose to become a member of that congregation. Well, I mean, if, if my it, Bible doesn't block bullets that well. Well, if it's a dangerous area, that okay. might be one thing to consider. But I'm just saying, you know, uh, for us to leave the cities to go to the suburbs, I agree, is not necessarily a a a, a prudent evangelical or evangelistical choice. I mean, we may not be as able. Well, well, you'll have we'll have more success reaching lost. People in poverty than we will lost to fluent that's, people. That, typically, that, unfortunately, that, that unfortunately that is commonly the case. Um, and then uh, we got this other email. This is Patrick in Birmingham who says to me, "I would just like something local so I don't have to travel too far. I live in a suburb. A couple of years ago, I would walk to the church five or ten minutes. It was so close. That'd be really a blessing." When it, uh, but a new building was erected uh, because the congregation outgrew the building. The new one was about a 10-minute drive. And then he speaks of another place where he goes that's out in the country, kind of in a remote area. Uh, uh, so I think the common consensus there is that people would like to be close if they had that option. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at College View. Dot com. We're talking about the ideal church if you're just joining us on the program tonight. Really just want to know what you are looking for in a church. If you move to a new location, 
and you're looking for a church to be a part of, what would be some criteria that you would use? We've talked about what size congregation would you be looking for, uh, what would be the location of the congregation, and uh, we'll look for hearing from you. You can go to our website, collegeview.com, fill in the form that you'll see there, or send us an email with any of your criteria that you look for in a church, in your ideal church. We need your response. We're, we, we have not had as much response to this as I thought we might. Uh, get, get on the website right now. You can do it from the from the website where you logged onto the program. You can get on there and send us, fill in the form and hit submit, and we'll get it. We're, we're monitoring this as we go, and we want to hear from you. We we need more feedback, so send us a, send us a response to our question. We asked the question about type of leadership. What type of leadership would you be looking for? A single pastor system, a denominational hierarchy, elders, and so forth. What would you prefer in your perfect church? I was That was sort of a leading question. And I, I was also hoping that we might get some comment about the sort of the style of leadership that, that, uh, that you might have. Couple of a couple of our respondents said elders. That's scriptural. Uh, I think that's right. And he says, that in, in this God knows best. Another one says, I prefer the type modeled in the New Testament of plurality of elders in each each church with equal authority who report only to Christ. I would agree with those statements. But then uh, we, we go back to our response from our friend Patrick in Birmingham. I think uh, Patrick often responds. We, we appreciate his participation in the virtual Bible study. I think uh, those who listen regularly may know that Patrick is a is a Catholic. And uh, so he's responding from that point of view, with which I would not agree. But he says, I'm happy with the hierarchy of the Catholic Church as it is. Well, uh, my challenge to Patrick, uh, others who might be Catholics uh, who or who are members of, of a religious group with a hierarchy of church government, you might be happy with it. Can you give us the Bible for it? Uh, and I, I believe the answer to that is no. You know, in other words, you may prefer it, but there wouldn't be any Bible to support it. I, I challenge Patrick or anybody else to find Bible for that hierarchy of church government that exists in the Catholic Church and in many man-made denominations. Well, he gives his reasoning, though. Uh, to read, why don't you read go, his? Go ahead. All right. He says, well, I'm happy with the hierarchy of the Catholic Church as it is. There's a uniformity of doctrine, and we know who is in charge. Yes, some priests, deacons, or even bishops might possibly do or teach falsely, but if they do, it's easy to know that what they say or do is wrong if it contradicts with the Pope and the church as a whole teaches. In other churches, particularly without a hierarchy, there are often different teachings from one congregation to another. Even in the Church of of Christ, just for example, at one congregation, you'll be taught that a person receives the Holy Spirit in baptism. At another congregation, the members are taught that the Holy Spirit is not received, but only the forgiveness of sins. At one congregation, it is taught that only God the Father is to be worshipped. At another, the Father and the Son are both to be worshipped. At one, divorce and remarriage is strictly forbidden, but at another, various exceptions are made. And these are examples I've witnessed myself just in the Church of Christ without considering other church, church Christian denomin- uh, churches. Yeah, well, uh, I agree with uh, with his analysis that there's a variety of, of belief and practice. But he admits there's a variety of belief and practice in the Catholic Church in, yeah, his, in notice, his response. He said some priests, deacons, or bishops might do wrong or teach falsely, but if they do, it's easy to know. Well, that's always true, right? I believe it's that. easy to know. He says it's easy to know because they contradict what the Pope and the Church teach. We, we say it's easy to know because they contradict the Word of God. Exactly. In other words, we we understand there's there's there is not conformity of practice, and that's because of a, not of a failing of the Word, not of a failing of the information or the guidelines that we have. It's a failure of men to follow what the Word of God teaches. Well, we just got to get back to the Bible, but that doesn't justify us establishing a non-biblical hierarchy of oversight to to try and solve that problem. But Patrick, what Patrick is saying is, we'll follow the Pope and we'll follow the Church. The Church and the Pope in the Catholic Church claim they're following the Bible, but what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to follow we're doing one step below the Bible. We're following the Pope and the Church, and we'll let them decide if they're following the Bible. Yeah. The Pope and the Church have been wrong in the Catholic Church. We believe they're still wrong in the Catholic Church. What you would be better off doing is take that middleman out of the equation and follow the Bible 
And if you will follow the Bible, you'll be correct. Exactly right. Patrick, we appreciate you. We appreciate your regular participation in the first Bible study. We've got to disagree with you on that point for sure. All right. I think we're up to a break, Jacob. We certainly are. Thank you again, Patrick, for that uh, comment. And if you've got any further comments, we'd like to hear from you again tonight. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Do you ever think, I'm just one? I don't have great talents. There are so many others. Someone else can do better than me. My work, my efforts, my contributions aren't that significant. Have you ever imagined that no one will notice if you aren't there and don't get involved? If so, you need to spend some time remembering some familiar Bible stories. Consider the importance of one person, or at least just a few people, when, for instance, Noah saved the human race from total annihilation in the global flood. Joseph overcame being sold as a slave, rose to high office in Egypt, and ultimately helped his entire family and nation in the midst of a terrible famine. Moses stood up to Pharaoh and delivered the children of Israel from bondage. Joshua and Caleb brought back a good report on the promised land. Gideon and his 300 men won a battle against a huge army. David defeated Goliath and in the process encouraged the army of Israel to a major victory over the Philistines. Elijah withstood the 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Nehemiah single-handedly motivated and led the people to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Queen Esther saved the Jews from Haman's plot to have them all killed. The prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, steadfastly proclaimed God's word even though they were opposed and persecuted. And the ultimate example, of course, is Jesus himself, who suffered and died alone so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins and have the hope of heaven in eternity. The next time you think, I'm just one, my work doesn't matter, remember that the history of God's people is the history of a faithful few who did what they could to serve him. Let's get busy. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Cole and I'm eight years old. My name is Thomas and I'm seven years old. And our families love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now back to the program. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. We're talking about our ideal church. What are some criteria that you look for when you visit a church to decide if you want to be a part of that congregation? Let us know at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We were talking about before the break about Patrick's email. And Patrick uh, says he likes that hierarchy of uh, of the Pope and the Catholic Church. Follow if you Basically, if you, I guess if you're a Catholic, and maybe Patrick can correct us on this, if you follow the Catholic Church and you follow the Pope, then you, I guess, are in a right condition. You just do what they tell you to do. Right, right. It's sort of, I, I wonder if that, and I'm not speaking for Patrick, but I wonder if in the mind of many people that sort of makes it easier. You don't have to worry about it so much. You leave it up to them. You know, that's their job, and I just do as I'm told sort of thing. You know, I, I've even, and, and, and that's not to say Catholics are the only ones who might feel that way. I've known uh, people who serve in churches that have elderships, and maybe the eldership is not doing what it should. Maybe the eldership is engaged in unscriptural activity, and they say, "Well, I may not agree, but that's the that's the elders. You know, that's their that's their business. They'll take care of that." And, that, and that's the wrong approach, too. Yeah, and uh, Patrick notes that there are differences among in beliefs among churches that call themselves churches of Christ. That you could go around the country and find differences in in any church that has saying the same name. Two Baptist churches will disagree. Yeah. Uh, but even in the Catholic Church, there are disagreements. Yeah. I think there are disagreements about abortion in the current election, whether or not uh, you should vote for who, should, who should, you should vote for. I think I heard a discussion on the on the uh, radio this morning. Well, the, the Catholic Cat- Church is divided about who you can vote for. One person would say it's a sin to vote for someone who approves abortion. And this, this is in the Catholic Church. Some some other Catholic says it's okay, and there's some uh, there's some diversion in. in the well, Catholic. and and. The, the Catholic Church is divided on the question of gay marriage and so forth. I mean, I think that the, I think probably what Patrick is saying is the Catholic Church has an official position on that, but there are plenty of priests and others who, who are not, uh, in line with what's coming out of Rome on, on those questions. And the issues that Patrick mentioned, the Church of Christ has an official position. Yeah. On it's it. It's the Bible. And there, and there are churches that are not in line with what the Bible says. We acknowledge that. But the failures on our part, not upon the Bible as being an inadequate guide, that God hadn't given us enough information to know what we're supposed to be doing. He has. And so we just got to get back to the book. We got an email from our friend Phil in Spring Hill, Tennessee. 
who says it's important to me that the elders of a local church be leaders and not merely managers. Too often, elderships are glorified budget committees. The principal responsibility of an elder is to lead or shepherd the church. This requires diligent teaching and vision setting. Boy, I gotta really say amen to what Phyllis said there. I've known a lot of, of uh, elders who were who acted sort of like business managers, and they and they the the, the main thing they did was sort of control the budgetary uh, purse strings, but they didn't do much as far as leading the flock, being involved in the spiritual lives of the members. That would be a mistake, and so I think Phil hits it exactly right. Thank you, Phil. And they're also, um, I get. Uh, Dad, also, there's also a lot of focus on the physical, uh, the building, um, the uh, the grounds of the of the of the church building, and the maintenance of that. A lot of elders spend a lot of time on that, Dad. When the focus of an elder needs to be on taking care of shepherding the flock, as uh, the scriptures teach. Exactly right. Exactly right. Let, let's go on to some of these other areas, Jacob, that we uh, suggested. Now, if you want to suggest another thing that's uh, that you think is important, by all means, do that. Uh, I asked the question, in your perfect church, if you could choose to have things just the way you wanted it, where you go to church, how would you describe the relationship among members in your perfect church? Uh, close personal relationships, or are you are you more of the opinion, I'd, I'd like to just sort of get lost in the crowd? What would be your opinion? One emailer says, uh, close personal relationships with an exclamation point. I want my main friends to be fellow Christians. We should be close enough to everyone to know what's going on in their lives and be there to support them or encourage them or to celebrate with them as needed. Uh, I think that's going to be a, probably a pretty common opinion. I agree with that opinion. I, I, I like to have my closest friends as members of the church, and it's a great blessing to have your closest friends in the congregation that you're a member of. What a blessing. And And for those who have that, you know, we should never take that for granted. I'm convinced that some Christians do sort of take for granted the fact that they are in a congregation where there are people that they have a close relationship with, and they don't even understand that there are places where people don't have that at all, places where the where the churches are so small and, and the members are so scattered that they don't see one another more than just very briefly on the Lord's Day maybe and don't have a chance to enjoy one another's company in a social setting or anything else. And and don't have the resource to draw strength from one another uh, because of their close relationship. It's a blessing to have that. So I would agree with that with that response. Randy in Jackson, Missouri says the members should have quote all things in common end quote, which is only possible in a larger church if there is a, for, a forum to do that, such as a, as small groups. Well, I think that's uh, I think what Randy is saying. There's been suggested. And this has been a suggestion that I hear, I've heard of a lot more in recent years is that if you have a larger congregation, you need to have within that larger congregation smaller groups that people can identify in. And, and, and so maybe the church has 500 people in it, but we've got 10 groups and a group may have 50 people in it. And I can be a lot closer to the people in that group. Uh, I've read some of that and, and I understand the mentality behind that. But I really think the expression "have all things in common" uh, uh, it comes from Acts chapter two. Let's see, in in verse forty four of Acts chapter two, it says all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Acts two verses forty four and forty five. I don't think Randy is suggesting by using that expression that we should live in a commune. He's just saying that we need to have a, 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 an opportunity to have a lot of commonality with members of the church that, we, that where we're a member, and I think that's a good point, I, and, I, and I want that too. I think that's very important. I've got to say, I, I don't know how sold I am on the small group concept. Uh, there may be some advantages to that. Uh, I don't know where I'd go to the Bible to find that other, Randy mentioned earlier in Acts 2 that the members didn't meet from house to house. So obviously they were in smaller groups. The whole 3,000 of them didn't meet in anybody's one house. Wait, so, and, and you can't, you have to have a one-on-one interaction. I mean, we, we'd agree with that. I can't, in, I can't encourage someone in a group of 100 people. I can't encourage Bob with his, uh, maybe he's having difficulty 
with his temper or with his with a foul mouth. I can't I can't necessarily encourage Bob with that in a in a group of 100 people. I need to get one on one with Bob, or maybe we need to get in in a small group of people to do that. Yeah, I understand that. Uh, I think one of the things that I that I think you have to be careful of in the small group arrangement that's being sort of promoted to know or get get people in groups that they can sort of identify with. I think one of the things you got to be careful about is getting clicks started, you know, okay, you and, be careful you, about that. and you begin to isolate people. In other words, that, that doesn't necessarily. The book that, of James would tell us about the danger yeah, of that. Yeah, the book of James chapter 2 warns about sort of having clicks within the church that could be damaging to the work. So we'd have to be on guard against that. Uh, and then. I don't uh, think Patrick's answered this one uh, per se. He. Did talk oh, about yeah, the size yeah. of the church. Yeah, I too. think he left that one off. Okay. Uh, if you got a thought, you got a, you got a, you got a, anything to add to our discussion? Please let us know. You can still fill in that form. It's still uh, sitting out there on the website, and, and all you have to do is just type in a couple of thoughts and hit the submit button, and we'll get it or send us an email. Questions at collegeview.com. Call us. We'll put you right on the air. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. We'd love to hear from you. And the next question. Um, I don't know. I, I may notice a little bit of insecurity in this question that you, you you wrote here, Dad. Describe the preacher of your perfect church. You want to know about his age. Age, style of preaching, what kind of clothes he wears. Okay. <laughs> you want to be. You want to make sure that you have a, a, an appeal. Yeah, I think uh, personally. Are you I thinking think, about a facelift? I'm thinking older preachers with gray hair. Okay. Are pretty good, but we'll see what everybody else says. Oh, got a response here that says age is not important, must be able to tell people what they need to hear in a manner that will encourage them or encourage them to change as necessary. Uh, I prefer an optimist to a pessimist, willing to uh, a man willing to admit mistakes and or admit it when he doesn't know the answer. I like all of that. I think that's uh, I, I couldn't argue with any of those observations. Um, it's it, he says. Uh, able to tell people what they need to hear, uh, not only able but willing. I, I would add probably the word willing to that, able and willing to tell people what they need to hear. You know, when the when the Apostle Paul told Timothy about doing his preaching work in Second um, Timothy chapter 4, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Well, let me get over there. It is 2 Timothy 4. There we go. He says... Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Uh, we, we've often paraphrased that verse to say, preach the word, preach it when it's when people like what they're hearing and preach it when they don't. And sometimes preaching involves telling people what they don't necessarily like to hear. And he says there, reprove, rebuke, exhort. And I think it's probably... Uh, a fair analysis of that verse to say that two-thirds of what he's telling a preacher he has to do involves negative things, reprove and rebuke. The exhort could be taken as positive. I think we've got to balance negative and positive, but we can't eliminate the negative, and sometimes that means telling people what they need to hear even when it's not what they want to hear. There's another uh, example from Timothy in First Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, uh, and I think Patrick may get to this a little bit in his response. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. We need a preacher who practices what he preaches and who is an example uh, of of his teaching being portrayed in his life. We need preachers like that and uh, not preachers who want to tell someone to do one thing but will live another way themselves. Okay. Um, I think that's a good observation. Um, we got, uh, uh, let's see, from Randy, he says about preachers, age doesn't matter to me as long as the person is spiritually mature and gifted to preach. I prefer verse-by-verse expository preaching, primarily from the New Testament, so that we spend most of our time being taught the apostles' doctrine. So uh, now that would be a preference as to style. You know, there, there's expository preaching and then there's topical preaching. Uh, I like both. I like to do expository preaching, but I think sometimes you absolutely have to to do topical preaching. Uh, uh, for instance, if you're going to do a sermon on gambling, I don't know any specific context that you could go to and do a whole sermon on gambling and end up really emphasizing biblical truth about the, the sin of gambling 
from one text. So I think some topics require you to, to sort of put together all the verses that deal with that topic. And sort of a concentrated sermon, you, you boil it down and get to... Yeah, so I think there's there's room for both. I, I think a lot of people do like expository preaching. From, a, from In other words, just take a text and just go through it. Let the text be its own outline, so to speak, and let all the main points be found within that text. That's a great way to preach. Uh, and and certainly it, it uh, is is a good way to do it. I don't think you can do it exclusively, but I agree with with uh, Randy's observation that we need to spend most of our time being taught the apostles' doctrine. We don't need to be taught the preacher's personal opinions or think sos. Uh, and and I think uh, as preachers we need to avoid you know making the sermons about our own opinions. I think our opinion is not any more significant than anybody else's. What the word says is what's important. All right. We have uh, an email. From well, Pat. Just, just a minute. I want to mention uh, the other expression there. He says the person needs to be spiritually mature, gifted to preach. You know, not everybody is not everybody is really up to that task. You could be you could be good at lots of things, but not good at being able to present a public sermon. That's okay. But I mean, there is some there. There does need to be some degree of talent in that regard if a preacher is going to be effective. Paul said that not everyone is a preacher. And you don't have to be a preacher to go to heaven. So uh, there are some who have that gift and some who don't. But now the gift of preaching is not a silver tongue. Right. Paul didn't have one. Yeah. In fact, over in 1 Corinthians 2, uh, he said, um, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1, I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So Paul said, uh, you know, every indication is Paul was not your great orator as far as, you know, just public speaking ability, but he was able to get the job done and powerfully proclaim the Word of God. Preachers also need to realize that in undertaking to do that job, they place themselves in a role of additional accountability. In James chapter 3, verse 1, James says, My brethren, be not many masters, be not many teachers, is the, is the way that's typically translated in other versions, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Uh, if, if you're going to teach, realize that you are going to be accountable for what you have taught. In other words, you, you expose yourself to a, an additional degree of accountability. All right, and quickly, we need to go to Reg, but quickly, uh, Patrick says a few things from Patrick's email. To me, age doesn't matter that much as long as the man is able to teach well. Desirable qualities are probably more likely in older men who have grown in experience and wisdom, but they can be fine young teachers too. Some men just remain foolish and become more stubborn as they get older. As far as styles, there can be multiple styles quite different from one one another that are all effective. And at the end of his uh, comments, he says... uh, he has to know what he's talking about and have the ability to explain it in an easily easily understood fashion to others. He should truly love others and live out what he is teaching. So we yeah. appreciate those comments. I think that's exactly right. If he doesn't practice what he preaches, he might as well not be preaching at all. I think that's the definite truth. Real quick before we go to the break, Don in Antioch, Tennessee says, The preacher should wait on his teaching. In other words, to be effective and credible, the teacher should have years of study with a lot of overflow information. So he can answer questions correctly by referring to the appropriate scripture. In other words, he's saying not a novice necessarily, uh, well studied. I think that's a good point. And he says concerning members, this is, I think, a good insight to a handful for the right reasons is better than a thousand who were lured in for rock music, pool, pizza, parties, movies, and who knows what else. So he says that if it's large because of carnal incentives, it's not right. Well, they're not going to be an encouragement to you to just get as much courage, encouragement from uh, joining the country club because those people likely are not going to be living, living holy lives as the scriptures command. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Don, for those email, those comments. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you for all of our listeners tonight and for those who have commented. We'll take a break and we'll give you time to join in on the discussion, but your time is running out. We'll go to the top of the hour right on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after these messages. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The Virtual Bible Study continues after this announcement. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So if you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the Virtual Bible Study and are interested in finding out more about the church, but you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more, There's no reason to fear. 
After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study. Thank you for being a part of it tonight. We will remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And if you have any questions about what the College View Church of Christ believes or practice, or what kind of church they are, if you are looking for a church, you can contact us at any time at questions at collegeview.com, or you can call us at 877-381-4567. Those are the two ways you can contact us on the program tonight to let us know your thoughts. As we talk about an ideal church, what are some things you look for in a church? What are some characteristics that a church needs to possess for you to consider it as being uh, something uh, that you would want to be a part of? Looking forward to your comments tonight. Let's go quickly to what would be the primary emphasis of the work in your perfect church. Evangelism, youth programs, benevolent activities, et cetera. Explain your answer. Here we get to sort of a doctrinal consideration, Jacob. Some of the other things we've talked about, size, location, uh, so forth are, are are just sort of matters of personal judgment and preference. But here, you need to be looking, as you're looking for a church, you need to look, be looking for a church whose work, whose primary emphasis of work is based upon what, based upon what the Bible says. Uh, one emailer says evangelism and edification of members would be the primary focus. Second would be assisting needy saints. I really think that we find that the work of the church has been broken down into those three areas that are mentioned in that email message. Evangelism, edification, and a limited work of benevolence are the three areas that the Lord has authorized the church to be working in. And so if the church, if you're looking at a congregation, maybe you're trying to make this decision, which one will I be a member of? And you find out they're involved in some things that are not biblical. Maybe, for instance, I don't think you can find any biblical basis for the church to be providing recreation. You see a church with a big family life center or a gymnasium of some kind, a big fellowship hall with a kitchen and all the cooking apparatus, and and you find out that you know th- this church is functioning at the equivalent level of a poor man's country club. You could say that's that's not the church that I'm looking for because I think they're doing some things there in regards to their work that are not biblical. The biblical work of a church is, as our emailer says, evangelism, edification, and a limited work in benevolence. And Randy in Jackson, Missouri says local evangelism, world evangelism, worship, and biblical teaching. And again, I noticed that Randy does not include, and I think he's right, uh, he does not include things like uh, educate. I mean, uh, uh, recreation and entertainment, that sort of thing. Don doesn't either. We can deduce that from his email where he yeah. said no pizza parties, pool parties. Exactly right. Rock bands. Don doesn't go for that. We appreciate that. And then again, back to Patrick's email. He, he, Patrick wrote in a lot tonight. We thank you, Patrick, for your participation. He says the primary work of any church is to worship God. He mentions the mass, but of course we don't we don't believe in the Catholic mass. But I I, I agree that the work of the church. I don't know if I would say the. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I, I don't know if I would say it exactly that way, Jacob. I don't know what you think. The primary work of the any primary church is purpose of the church is to bring glory to glory God, God. We, and that w- worship is a part of that. Yeah. But we bring glory to God by but evangelism he, and edification. He as mentions well. worshiping God, proclaiming the Word of God. Uh, uh, he says, uh, "I think that teaching and promoting individual personal holiness is very important." The promotion of prayer and good works, not that they can be separated from personal holiness. 
Then he says, youth programs and such are nice, but I think they should be less of a priority. Uh, if we're if we're defining youth programs the same, I think they should be of no priority at all because I don't think they're authorized. Uh, he says he says at least as far as just giving kids activities to participate in. You know, kids need stuff to do. Uh, nobody disputes that. Kids need activities to keep them occupied, uh, activities that help them develop and mature. Uh, that's great, but that's that's the, the in the realm of the family and the home, and parents should be responsible for that sort of thing. We're not denying that kids need some of that, and I think Patrick is agreeing. We, we, the church is not in the business of just providing young people with some activities to be involved in. Uh, there's no authority for that. Patrick goes on. He says uh, where he attends, there are lots of activities involving the young people in benevolent works like visiting hospitals or nursing homes, volunteering at, the, at homeless uh, shelters or soup kitchen, collecting food for needy people and other things to encourage them to live out their faith. Well, I think it's good to get, and and uh, I don't know uh, all the degree to which uh, Patrick is discussing there, but I do think it's good to get our young people. And I th- again, but I would put I put the primary load here on the family, the parents. See to it that your kids find out about serving others rather than just being served. Teach your kids to have a servant heart. Teach your kids to have a work ethic. But that's not the work. That's not the role of the church to provide that. Well, there aren't any activities, uh, Dad, for adults to get them to go and volunteer to help someone who's needy. Right. Uh, so, so young people should learn that that these aspects of personal living are their responsibility. Yeah. One of the things we need to teach them is to be self-starters. Yeah. Look, look for yourself what you can do. But okay. Well, what were you going to say? No, I, was just say, I mean, that's. I think that's true. I mean, we, if there if if a group of of people wanted to get together and take the young people to go volunteer for someone to help someone, that's fine. I, you know. Yeah. Let's 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 quickly, Jacob, because I think we're just about out of time. Tie this up. We had we kind of left the last category that we were asking about sort of open ended. And Patrick goes on to say, I want the truth to be proclaimed boldly with love, sincerity, and faith. I want a church where people really do pray and where holiness is really sought after, not some hypocritical, arrogant, superficial, so-called spirituality. Holiness is each person's own responsibility, as we are told to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But a community that fosters that personal growth is what I would most want to have. I agree. Amen. With, I agree with him. You know, I, I don't. I, I I specifically would not want to be a member of a church that's full of a bunch of hypocritical people who are just going through a charade of religious service. Uh, that would be of no appeal at all. All right. And uh, Randy in Jackson, Missouri, says he wants elders and deacons who meet the biblical criteria for their roles, a church that practices church discipline. That's, that's an interesting That's insight. interesting, but a good one. Yeah, uh, commend Randy for looking for that because there's a lot of people who don't. In fact, there's a lot of people who specifically would look for the opposite, Jacob. And, and I've known of people who would actually, uh, you know, abstain from participating in a congregation that engaged in disciplinary activity when necessary. Nobody wants to do that, but the Bible says the church does that as a necessary thing. And and I would want to be a church. That, no, I would not want to be a church, a member of a church that didn't do that when it was called for. In other words, that church is not what they need to be. If they won't do that when it's called for, then they're not being all they should be. All right. And another emailer says, participation from the members. It would be nice to have to assign Bible class teachers because there are too many volunteers for the number of positions available. It would also be encouraging if everyone, including children or adults, in the class was prepared for class. People's attitudes are very important. If they want to be there and enjoy worshiping God, it shows. Yeah, I think that's that's right. Ideally, remember the, the the concept of our study tonight was what would you ha- what would you want in a church if you had your all your own preferences just the way you'd like it, and and that really describes what I'd like to. I'd like to see a congregation where everybody's so active that you you you're never struggling to find people to do necessary things, teach Bible classes, do other things because there are just so many who want to do that. That would be ideal for sure. Well, we are out of time tonight, but we do appreciate those who have commented, Dad, on the program and the discussion tonight. Exactly right. What we're doing here on the Virtual Bible Study is just trying to go to the Word of God. Certainly we understand, even as we discussed tonight, some of these things involve what we would personally prefer. But bottom line is we've got to base all that we do upon what the Word of God says. And, that's and, what and it matters for. what kind of church we're a part of. Exactly does. Exactly we, right. we need to make sure that we're looking for that church that meets the pattern of the New Testament 
because uh, we want to be a part of a group that's like the church that Christ died to save. Right. One one thing before we close, Jacob, I might suggest to our listeners, if you have some idea about some YouTube segments that we could do, some short little segments that we could do to put on YouTube, uh, we're getting some good response to the one video that we've put out there. So we're looking to do some more of that. If you have some ideas about some short little, you know, four, five, six minute blurbs that we could do on a theme, on a subject, a question, uh, send us an email. Let us know some thoughts. We're, we're going to try to do some more of that. All right. We look forward to you being a part of the virtual Bible study next week, and we do appreciate you listening to the program this week. Please do make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the virtual Bible study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.